welcome to this week's episode of Latchkey Movies, the podcast where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we are going to talk about the 2017 version of Beauty and the Beast. Because we're only doing it once. Let's just be absolutely <laughs> clear about that at the this point in time we are only ever talking about beauty and the beast once yeah once yep. is enough <laughs> absolutely <laughs> my name is sarah i am the mother of a four-year-old boy and i'm briar i have three kids a 17 year old girl an almost eight-year-old boy and an almost two-year-old boy Okie doke, let's get started here. It's gonna be a fun one. So we start with a nod to the cast because I feel like overall everyone did an exceptionally good job and I don't want to spend too much time focusing on cast performances. So let's just real quickly, Sarah, who were your favorites? I really liked Dan Stevens in this because I feel like when he transforms into the prince at the end, he looks exactly like the cartoon version. Exactly. Every time I watch this movie, I am like, holy crap. Like, you could not have found somebody who looks more like that version of He really the was prince. perfectly like, spot cast. on. Spot on. And vocally almost there good enough and right. i would say the same for emma watson too i think she was vocally about there i don't i don't think anybody was ever going to be quite perfect right physically she certainly looked the part of Belle and she did a reasonably good job singing I think people are always going to find something to bitch about but that's because they wanted to be Belle not because Emma did a bad job right so yeah I would agree I think they they both held their own as far as the singing side of things go um also, always love to see Audra McDonald and stuff, especially when she gets to play somebody with a grandiose singing part. Um, and then Stanley Tucci. I just love him and everything. And they were really good together, <laughs> yes, I thought. They made a, a perfect pair. I was very fond of Kevin Klein's performance in this, and I always like Kevin Klein, but he just, he he had the absent-minded father yeah. bit nailed pretty well. Definitely. Um, you know, and it's it's just inevitable that there will be comparisons between the uh, animated version from 1991 and this live-action version. So Love Maurice is like the little wacky inventor in the animated version but like Kevin Klein just did I thought he was perfect as Maurice like mm-hmm. I just really really loved him in that role and possibly maybe even better than her animated counterpart I really really liked Emma Thompson as the t- as Mrs. Potts she was just so good so I... good I disagree <laughs> well I mean 
I love Angela Lansbury, and it's fine. It's fine. There was something really strange about Emma Thompson's voice in this movie. Like I don't she think it was, was the voice. Speaking... I think it was the I was I think it was the way the teapot was drawn. There was something bizarre about it to me. But I like I tried to close my eyes and like really think about it, and I really feel like she was speaking like at a higher pitch than she p- speaks normally. And it also seemed like, I mean, she's British. Mm-hmm. But her accent sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so she's British playing a British character. And her Art- accent was just... Let's, I mean, let's go down the list. Half of them are Brits, aren't they? Obviously, Emma Watson is, so... Emma Watson, uh, Dan Stevens. Dan is... I mean, that's it on our list. <laughs> uh, I'm trying I to... I believe there I are can't. definitely There other are a few British. others, though. I think so. I think so. But then if we're going to talk about accents... I don't know. I It's always confusing to me, like, when I try to think too literally about a movie that takes place in one country, and then, like, half the cast speaks with, like, a British accent, and some of the people speak with, like, a French accent. Like, Lumiere speaks with, like, a super French accent. Super so is French he more accent. French than everybody else? <laughs> when, in fact, Ewan isn't, isn't he's he... He's Scottish. A, he's Scottish. Oh, yes. okay. He's Scottish. Okay. <laughs> But his wife at the time, she is French, and they had been together for years ah, and years and years and years and years. So, so he I can feel fake like, it well. But I don't think he does here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not really that good. I don't it's know. Not. I kind of, I made my peace with this many decades ago when Jean-Luc Picard had the most British accent to ever be spoken aloud. So... so you just kind of like hand wave it off yeah it's fine it's fine accents whatever i'm american i don't care british (laughs) characters are obviously villains in star wars films so it's fine (laughs) all right so let's get started this movie it's disney it's got the standard castle introduction but it does have the rose wall, which I really like. Was there anything else that was different? The entire castle was the Beast Castle. Um, it starts at the top, and it's when the castle transforms back into Beast Castle. The piece at the top is the first part that transforms, and that's also where they bring that scene in. Okay, so look, I'm legally blind, and I'm just going <laughs> to cop to not noticing that that's not Disney Castle there. No, no, it's not. It is not Sleeping Beauty Castle, and it is not Cinderella Castle. <laughs> I just You're the castle expert from now on. We're just going <laughs> to let you do these. I'll take it. So we start with the beautiful Enchantress, who is Agatha in disguise. She comes to the ball and like we have to talk about this ball I, I we're not even going to get two sentences into this description here because this ball is really terrible i think so something disney has started to do for 
obvious socio-political reasons is that they've made things multicultural. And in so doing, at least here in this opening sequence for me, it kind of emphasizes just how awful the culture at the time was. Mm -hmm. Because, so, the Beast is a prince. And, and we'll get to the history here in a little bit. But the the prince is... I don't know. He's throwing a ball. He's having a party and all of these women come and they're all dressed in, it's at least period appropriate, but it's all this virginal white yeah. dresses with, I mean. Is everybody at the party dressed in white or is it just the no, women? No, it's just the women. Okay. So the beast is in black. Some of the servants and other older guests are in different colors but the dancing portion with the young maidens all of the maidens are in white and mm -hmm. it feels like you're watching a literal flesh market to me it's right. so appalling and that song specifically at that point is about him finding somebody at Correct. this party so are we <sighs> Maybe he's looking to get married, but maybe not. And I don't think that matters because it's obvious he's scum of the earth, horrible human being. So, I don't know. It, it, it starts off bad for me, is what I'm saying. Is that it just, within seconds, I was immediately annoyed with this film. And it just gets worse. So, the Beast refuses to help the beggar woman. She curses him. It's not a good curse. I'll complain about it later. And she warns the prince that the curse will only be broken if he learns to love another and earns their love in return before the last petal falls. Alright, now I'm going to have to give a brief history lesson. So the original story was written in 1740. That is the period of Louis XIV, also known as the Sun King. And if you're a Hollywood film fan, you probably know Louis XIV from The Man in the Iron Mask. So this is the replaced king. Theoretically, the prince we're actually talking about here is Louis. The, the Louis before he became the good king. Maybe there, the, the, that particular legend is maybe historical, probably not. But there is some bit of circumstance there. And that's theoretically who we're looking at here as the beast. So, we also have to look at the history of the time in that we're about 40 years away from the French Revolution. So, while France was very egalitarian in some ways, it was also very Catholic. 
So all of these little hints of LGBT characters, that's all bullshit and would not mm-hmm. have flown. Oh, yeah. I oh. mean, I, I don't watch a movie like this and assume that that's historically accurate. I assume that that is Disney uh, trying to appeal more to the masses. The problem is is that it just makes it very uncomfortable, I yeah. think. Because I agree. Because it ruins... It ruins the essence of the story when we're making it so... I don't know. Now, the I will also add that at this point in time, there was a lot of buying and selling of venal offices. So basically, anybody who had money could buy their way into the nobility. Which is what I think think Maurice actually does. I think that he has some level of financial wealth and has purchased some kind of land in the village of Villanueve. And that is how they've come to be there. But that makes them landed and at that point in time... Yeah, fairly titled? moneyed. In 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 the way of the venal offices, which are titled ish. They're okay. purchased titles. Okay. So it's 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 like nobility light. Okay. So I think that that's where they're coming from, coming from France, where they had a little bit of position as merchants. He's purchased this title in the countryside for Belle. So they have a little bit of money. They have a little bit of influence. And Belle has a little bit of an education. Okay. So that's where we're coming from. So then we meet Belle. I guess some time has passed. This is the curse. I guess I, I, I don't understand it. I'll complain later. We have Belle and Gaston's I Want song. So feel free. Tell me all about this horrible song. <laughs> um, I want to back it up a little bit. I say that a lot in this podcast. You do. But I'm going to back it up a little bit here. (laughs) And I just want to come at it in that I am 36 years old. And as a female of that age, I was nine years old when the original um, animated version of this came out. And I feel like uh, anybody who's like my contemporary, anybody who was coming of around that same age at that point, we all had a Disney princess that we associated ourselves with. Um, You know, some people liked Ariel the best or Pocahontas or... No, nobody liked Pocahontas the best. Nobody liked Pocahontas. I'm sure a few people liked Mulan. I'm sure more people liked Mulan than Pocahontas. All right. Well, we'll get into that another time. (laughs) Um, So anyways, being the slightly nerdy, slightly lonely, very bookish person that I was, Belle Belle spoke to me. Belle is my princess. Yes. 
So the original, the animated movie, is probably the Disney animated movie I have watched the most. It's definitely the movie I know the best. I know I know every word to every song in the original. And I will say that this version of Little Town, is that what it's called? Little Town? Little Town. That is such a stupid name for that (laughs) song. (laughs) Well, it's kind of a stupid song, but you didn't recognize it the first time, did you? You didn't realize until this time around what a stupid song it was. I will always love this song. (laughs) But this version of it, I was ready to not like it because I was ready to not be okay with Emma Watson singing and I was ready for them to make like ridiculous changes to it and overall I really liked this version of this song see and it's not it's not the version of the song I have a problem with because it was well done it was well sung but I realized watching it what a stuck up Bitch, oh Belle yeah, is. she totally like, is. She calls them provincial, like this yeah! is a provincial town. <laughs> that didn't mean anything to me as a child, no. but as an adult, it means look at these fools that I am forced to associate yes. with. Yep, I'm the only person who appreciates literature in this entire yes. provincial town. Yes, all these, these plebes, stupid plebes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No wonder they don't like her. She's all hoity-toity. Right? I mean, it's difficult for the townspeople to like her the way that she acts. And Gaston is... I'm going to complain about him a lot. But I feel like at some point in time, we have to look at how he is just so much older than Belle. So I don't know. I don't know if they did this deliberately with the casting but we watched Emma grow up right I mean yeah. she with Harry Potter that when when did that movie come out 2001 I so <laughs> I think the first one came out in 2001 and she was 11 at the time and I've just watched her grow up right And Luke, who does Gaston exceptionally well, is my age. And so the whole thing is gross. Like, he's he's a 38-year-old dude going after... I mean, I I realize it's only a 10-year age gap, but I watched her... I watched Emma grow up, and now I can't think of her as anything other than relatively a young lady... And for a dude my age to be pursuing her is just gross. But that was the time. I mean, he had gone away to war. No, I think back. he also purchased a title. If we're going to be real honest about the time, I think he, he may have gone to war. But that's only because he bought a horse to get there. <laughs> and that's, but that's how it worked. He bought a horse to get there. He's got a horse. So now he's Gaston. I just... Ugh. I mean, he's got to have some money if he can eat six dozen eggs every morning. Right? That's a, Or he has a lot of chickens. Either way. <laughs> so then we meet 
Maurice, and he is making the music box, and he's going to go to this convention. Is it a convention? I, I, I don't know. I, like I'll, a fair? I'll be real <laughs> honest here. I copy my show notes from Wikipedia. Okay. Because... That's significantly easier than yes. trying to go through it <laughs> scene by scene. So Wikipedia calls it a convention, and I'm just going to assume that they're correct. Convention I don't care. of music box makers in exactly. what, I, 1700s France. 1740 France. Yeah, so, makes sense. Seems seems legit. It's down at the <laughs> the uh, music Holiday box hall. Inn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the next town over. <laughs> oh, and into the next town over. Maurice gets lost on the way. Nobody else has, by the way, in this entire scenario. Nobody's ever gotten lost going past the beast's house. I don't, I don't know how that works. That Maurice gets lost, but whatever. <laughs> and his horse returns without him. I, I don't remember it being quite this melodramatic in the animated version but i'm sure that it was when the horse returns when yeah when the horse comes back and bell goes and looks for him well first she has to sing the reprise oh of course she does <laughs> on the hill right yeah. right yeah it's the very sound of music ask <laughs> Like, even the outfit she's wearing is, like, so evocative of that. Like, with the blue, mm -hmm. like, pinafore mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like it it's is. Maria Von Trapp. <laughs> it is. And I don't think, I would have to ask my mother-in-law, who knows much about clothes, but I don't actually think that is really period. I know the stuff at the beginning is because I asked. Yeah. She said actually there might even be more lace. But on the whole, all of those dresses were correct. The The yellow dress is technically accurate. The blue dress really? is not. Yes. Wow. I would not have guessed the yellow but, dress was accurate. <laughs> The yellow dress is only accurate for a very specific kind of ball. And I guess we could argue that that's what she's going to there. I mean, it could be any ball because it's just two people. Well, I again, <laughs> we're going with a loose definition of ball. <laughs> okay. So, Maurice goes to the castle he gets lost there and he decides to cut a rose which is obviously the greatest crime he could possibly commit that was that was was that in the original too is that how i don't oh, remember i don't Come know on. i don't remember either we'll have to check that for fact check We'll fact check it <laughs> because i don't recall how he ended up in the tower and imprisoned in the animated version. I think he runs into like a snowstorm and goes there for shelter. Yeah. And then the beast just locks him up because he's the beast. Trespassing? There's maybe. 
But Maybe. I think he calls him a thief in that one, too. Mm-hmm. Because he's Maybe big he, on the thief thing. It, it is very much about he's stealing, which would be kind of appropriate for the feudalistic time of the period. <laughs> I, I may be overthinking this just a tad. <laughs> just a tad. So... Let's remember, it's still a Disney movie. Do we have to? Okay. <laughs> so then we Belle comes to the castle, and she rescues Maurice. She tricks Maurice, basically, is what she does. She tricks him into leaving. And then the castle servants decide that they're going to let her go. Because obviously they have to let her go if... She's to fall in love with the beast, which the whole thing is terribly orchestrated in a way that makes me uncomfortable as an adult. Like, <laughs> this is arranged marriage levels of nonsense well, here. You know, these poor castle servants are desperate, right? They're going to start like. They have no choice, really, at this point. What else is their option here? They need the beast to fall in love, and a young woman of marriageable age walks through their front door. So, we'll take her. I mean, you could also call this a horror movie very easily. (laughs) (laughs) It would just take a slight editing situation, and this would be a horror movie. I mean, it kind of is. Let's bet. So, so they're arranging. They're arranging dinner, and we have the iconic sort of "Be Our Guest" song, which okay. they changed. And In a I'm very jarring and unsettling way. Yeah, it is just slightly different enough to make you uncomfortable if you know the song like it's still the same song but just slightly different enough where i'm like this song is terrible and awful and i want it to end well and the connotations feel different to me too yeah it feels a little more sexual it feels a little more hmm, hinky i don't know did we miss that stuff no ewan mcgregor is no jerry orbach well (laughs) That's certainly true. <laughs> I I have a very complicated history with you and McGregor. <laughs> and Let I feel go. like I need Let to I need to I need to share it just because it definitely tints my view of this movie. Um I used to be one of the biggest Ewan McGregor fans, I would say. I mean, we're talking pre-Star Wars days. I owned every movie he was in. Every movie. Even the really terrible ones. There's ones like The Serpent's Kiss. And he was in this movie called The Pillow Book. And they're awful, awful movies. And I didn't just (laughs) see them. I purchased them and owned them. It was a huge Ewan McGregor fan. On VHS, no less. No, they were all on DVD. Oh, okay. So we're a, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a little less dated now. Right. So at least we're on DVD now. But okay. this was like, these aren't DVDs with like special features. These are 
the original ones that came in the $40 boxes. Exactly. All right. So I was a very big Ewan McGregor fan. Um, he seemed like one of those celebrities who like really kind of kept himself like down to earth. He was really big on like his family and he was really against like paparazzi taking pictures of his kids. You didn't see that anywhere. He was always talking about how much he loved his wife, Ev, and like they seemed to have this whirlwind romance where they met on the set of a movie when he was young and she was like a makeup artist or a costume person. I can't remember. But they like fell in love, had kids, adopted kids, just like a beautiful relationship she was even in one of the episodes of long way down or long way around that series he filmed where he rode motorcycles around the world i was a big fan um then he was in the movie the ghost rider which is a roman polanski film and while so if you don't know who roman polanski is he i know who roman polanski is but i haven't seen any of his films because it's roman polanski so For the listeners, Roman Polanski is a director who fled to France in 1978 from the U.S. after pleading guilty to a charge of unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor. Um, there's We could go into this, but yeah, it's a there's long a lot of history, history with Roman Polanski. Yes, but the, the impetus that sent him to Europe was that charge, that guilty plea of unlawful sexual intercourse with a minder the girl was 13 by the way so in 2009 he was arrested in zurich and this was right around when the movie he was working on the ghostwriter with ewan mcgregor was coming out so it was a hot button issue they were asking all the actors about it in like press and stuff and ewan mcgregor said at that time, I don't comment on his case because it, because it has nothing to do with me. I work with him as an actor, and I've known him for less than a year. Which, to me, just isn't enough for the father of multiple young girls at this point. But I brushed it off, and I was, I was like, it's okay. You know, he doesn't really know him. This is all, you know, like, really old news. Okay, we're moving on. Still loved Ewan McGregor. But then... Then (laughs) he left his wife for his co-star from Fargo, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And the timeline of events is, is, doesn't add up to me. Like there was some cheating going on in my mind and in my opinion. And that was the final straw for me. It should have been the Roman Polanski thing, but it wasn't. It was the cheating on his wife thing. And so I am very much not an Ian McGregor fan anymore. And it's like a huge betrayal. Like I'm just very like, I really liked this guy as an actor. Like I really, really liked him. I used to tell people that he was the only celebrity that I know if I saw in person, I would probably faint. Like I would have that kind of reaction. And to go from like feeling that you know, strongly about somebody to, like, I just complete betrayal. I'm just so annoyed with him now, and I can't even stand him, like. And so him as Lumiere in this movie and singing that song in such a terrible way. 
just makes it even more creepy. So much worse. So much worse. And I'm like, I just can't, Ewan McGregor. I just can't. That one's such a tough question because, especially these days in Hollywood, like who, who do you even like as a person? There's Tom Cruise, and even if you assume that he's on the up and up and not beating his wives, which or just not crazy. Well, no, no. See, that one's absolutely confirmed (laughs) crazy. I'm talking about not beating his wives. You heard about uh, Captain Crazy Pants. Jesus. Johnny Depp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I guess... Who is no longer Captain Crazy Pants because Disney has let him go. So, I think what this all does for me, and I mean... This might just be a product of getting older, but I don't have that hero worship of famous people anymore. Like, it's it's gone, because who knows? Who knows what they're going to come out with? Can you really put all your support behind one person and then find out later on that, like, all this shit was happening in the background? Right. So I hate that that tints my my feelings towards this movie but on the other hand i think this movie is just that bad and so it's not tinting it to the full side of that my my feelings toward this movie are not fully based on how i feel about you mcgregor they're but only it's a reasonable slightly. question to ask i mean i haven't seen bohemian rhapsody yet and probably I don't even know if I ever will. I have a real problem with Brian Singer. And I realize that that movie went forward kind of in spite of him. Right. And that no one really acknowledged him at the awards this year. But that doesn't mean he wasn't involved, and that doesn't make him any less of a fucking predator. Right. And I don't know that I can support his work on right. any level. Right, and I think that that speaks more to the Roman Polanski side of this than the Ewan McGregor uh-huh. side. You know, um, Roman Polanski, ha- that story has been the story of Roman Polanski since 1978. There is nothing that he has touched that can't be tainted by that. And I would say that with Brian Singer, there have been, there's been talk about him being... For a long, as long, as, long time. That's everything I know about Brian Singer, short mm-hmm. of that he directed movies. Yeah. So maybe there are skills of <laughs> bad i mean it's not a black and white world it's a gray world right it's not it's house of cards it's the last season of house of cards did you were you ever a fan of that show yeah i watched it all the way through to the last season and then i just didn't really like claire as the main character <laughs> well let me tell you i'm not sure it got any better and I'm not sure that it was missing anything by not having Kevin there to begin right. with. Like, right. 
at the end, that story was about so much moral depravity. That mm-hmm. What level of moral depravity is necessary to continue a story right. about moral depravity? Right. Whose moral depravity do we need? I just, it's, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough I guess question. It it really, really is, and I mean, I'm sure it'll come up again. That's just the nature of these things, you know. You've got uh, Emma Thompson just coming out recently about not wanting to work with John Lasseter, who is very much Disney affiliated. Um, and, and good so for that's Emma, I think, because I was, I, I really, I was really impressed mm-hmm. by someone standing up and saying, no, I'm sorry, there are women who are forced to work with this man who can't say no. I have the ability to say no, and that's what I'm doing. So right. I'm really very impressed with that. Yeah, absolutely. So that was quite the derail. Just to get to, this is a terrible version of Be Our Guest. <laughs> Wait, is that what we were talking about? Oh, we right. were talking that about how we were awful talking about. Be Our Guest is in this movie. It's terrible. It's as bad as the rest of the film, really. Okay. <laughs> so, after the bad Be Our Guest, we have the Forbidden West Wing and the Rose and the wolves and the beast gets injured and this was all relatively accurate to the animated version yeah yep and then we have the whole scene where they yell at each other because she's hurting him with the wound care and then they go and see the library and at this point, I really have to ask, does she fall in love with the beast or does she fall in love with the books? Because I think she goes from, oh my God, I'm trapped here forever. This is going to be a miserable experience to, well, there's at least a lot of there's books. books. <laughs> I'm trapped here, but at least there's books. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have to talk to any of those plebes in town. Right, because this is Belle we're talking about here, and I am fully aware now that she's kind of a spoiled brat. What she's actually falling in love here is this gigantic library. It is all these books that I get to read. And while, you know, when I was a kid and they had the library scene, I bet it was impactful for you, too. Like, you watch her walk into that library, and you see all those shelves and shelves and shelves of books. And as a child who read a lot of books, I was like, yeah, I, too, could get lost there. Yeah. And now what I'm realizing is is that that is a visual representation for how antisocial Belle is. (laughs) You're right. You're right. She would rather spend... All mm-hmm. of eternity in that library, then back in Villeneuve. <laughs> okay, so then we get to the major divergence from the animated story here. When we get the, the book that takes readers wherever they want to go. 
and Belle uses the book to go visit her childhood home in Paris. I think that that song and this scene are in the musical. I don't know. I haven't seen the musical. I was going to ask because I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen it. But actually just found out today it's coming to my city next year. Well... You can go and make <laughs> rude noises from the gallery. I think it's more like the movie or the cartoon, the animated movie. I mean, <laughs> boo, you should feel bad. You're bad and you should feel you're bad. bad and you should feel bad. Okay. We're all uh, and and we learn about the plague and that's how her mother died. And again, this is where I think that Maurice probably took his music box money and bought a piece of land out in the country. <laughs> All right. So that he could squirrel away the infant daughter away from the plague. Because that's kind of what you did in those days. When the plague came, if you weren't infected, you fled the city. Yeah. And kind if of you hoped, could afford to. If you could afford to. And because they did, that's why I think there was a fair amount of money involved in this story. And, okay, so let's talk about a few of the other differences besides this whole plague scene. So, let's start with the difference between the live action and the animated versions just in general. Okay. Um... One of the things that bothers me uh, the most is that this seems to be in the same vein as the Disney movies, like the Alice in Wonderland movies, or that the Nutcracker and the Seven Kingdoms, I think it's called, where they, you can tell that when they're filming this movie, it's probably 75% green screen. There's mm. very little practical sets going on and to me that whole style just has like a weird I don't know if it has a name but it's the scenery version of an uncanny valley where it just feels it unsettles me like I just don't like the look of it and in this movie in particular it's very apparent like the courtyard Uh uh-huh that just really doesn't sit well with me and I don't know, it, the the best explanation I have is how that there's that uncanny valley with um, computer animated humans where there's a spot where it goes from looking unreal to real. And if you hit it right in the right spot between those two things, it looks just unreal enough, but just real enough that it gives you a little bit of anxiety. Oh, and so that's basically how I feel about this. all of the second Matrix movie. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it to refer back to, but any of these new, like, heavy CGI live-action Disney movies are doing this to me now, mm-hmm. and this movie in particular is doing it to me. And then in the closing credits, when they do, like, the weird... Did you watch the closing credits? Mm-hmm. With the weird, like, images of the people, and they, like, look towards the camera. <laughs> that set it off Yeah, that's, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. Um, so, as an actor, green screen work is tough. I like, have to imagine. It, it is very difficult to mm-hmm. interact with 
things that only exist in your mind. And right. when you're doing that work, you kind of have to build it all out in your head. Mm-hmm. So that when you are moving around through it, it, it's, there, it actually at least exists in some way. Mm-hmm. Some people are better at it than others, and I think some directors are better at getting actors to work through right. it. I am generally more comfortable with this phenomenon in Marvel movies, because even though I know it's all green screen, right. the actors are still having a good enough yeah. time that it doesn't matter. It's never even phased me in a Marvel movie. So like, no, but it, it really I, is bothersome in, in this, this one. Film. It's, it mm-hmm. gives me anxiety. I don't know, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't enjoy this movie because <laughs> of it. And I, I won't watch any of those Alice in Wonderland movies or the Nutcracker and the Seven Kingdoms or whatever it's called. Well, and um, we're back to Alice in Wonderland. How much do we enjoy movies with Johnny Depp in them now, who is an alleged, we'll say alleged, although I hear the video evidence is pretty damning, wife beater? <sighs> Let's talk about the difference between the prince as a man and a boy because I think my some of my irritation with this curse factors in here as well you do okay we're we're told in the beginning that the curse happens and then some time passes yeah we're never given a real understanding of how much time passes and it's difficult so if we use the Potts family as our judge. The best guess we can make is 10-15 years between Mrs. Potts and Mr. Potts and that's assuming they were the same age when the curse happened. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really tough on this one. In the animated one, I believe they say it's 10 years. And in the animated one, he's a boy when he gets cursed, which is a lot of questions. Right. Because, <laughs> see, because he What a mean enchantress. <laughs> like, who, what enchantress enchants a 10-year-old boy to that life for being snotty? For being a, for being a <laughs> snotty beast. If he's an adult and he... It's and, a different and, story. And it freezes. Oh, then I guess it, it is a different story. And I guess it makes a little more sense except that it's really inconsistent so do he doesn't age and the people the the servants don't age because they're inanimate objects i guess Mm -hmm. i guess but time passes, I don't know. I, There's I, obviously some magic on the village because they forget that they're there. They right? forget and then don't care that they've like been <laughs> beholden to this weird beast creature for the last... T- <sighs> it's a feudalistic so, culture, so they would have been paying taxes or something. I just... Well, they talk about how he taxed the village. In the very beginning, they talk about how he taxed the village for his lavish parties. And so when they all become unenchanted and they remember 
They're all happy. I think I would be like, damn it. Now we have to go back to paying all these taxes. Well, exactly. I mean, if they didn't remember, then they weren't paying the taxes. Right. So the village itself must have gone through this lovely boom, right? It you would think. It had money of its own to spend on things since it wasn't beholden to its prince anymore. Or is this more of like, was the village maybe frozen too? Well, no, because Mr. Potts ages. But do you think he, did he though? Or was he just older than Mrs. Potts? I don't know. Because Cogsworth's wife, what about that age difference? (sighs) To all appearances, Cogsworth's wife was an old hag to begin with. (laughs) I mean, which... I don't know. Which I is will just another say... dimension of talking about older women that we're not even going to yes, get I into know. here because we do not have time for that bullshit. So basically, I think what it is, is that you and I cannot clarify this because there is no clarification because the writers of this movie did a terrible job and that exactly. just wasn't brought into it. Exactly. It's just terrible plot hole. It's all just terrible. <laughs> Finally... Speaking of terrible, we have to talk about what they did with LeFou because I neglected to sing my praises of Josh Gad at the beginning. I meant to. He was really great and I really love him as LeFou. I think he did a fantastic job. But they made the character gay. And it changes so many elements of this story. It changes how LeFou interacts with Gaston. It changes his ability to go along with Gaston's abuse of Maurice. And then at the end, it's what, I guess, gets him to switch sides. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but animated LeFou did not switch sides. No, I don't think so. I remember him getting beat up by, like, the wardrobe, and I don't think he switches sides. I don't think he switches sides. But he does here because he's a spurned lover. I mean, that's almost the way that they paint it here. Mm -hmm. He is... He's realized that Gaston is a worthless human being and is never going to amount to anything, so he's switching sides because there's nothing in it for him. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I I think there is certainly some potential there, but again, I come back to 1740s France Catholic. In no way would this have been socially acceptable at all. Absolutely not. So... But, Why we're telling this story is a bit of a mystery. Right. Well, the, there is no mystery. It's that Disney Don't saw, tell me it's just Disney. <laughs> Disney saw how people took the whole concept <laughs> and the assumption that Elsa was a lesbian, right? And Disney was like, hey, maybe we have something here. Maybe this is an audience that we need to approach in a manner to make it so that they are also we're marketing here disney is like marketing masters right Mm, 
we're marketing or are we pandering pandering yes absolutely (laughs) for sure i was trying to be a little bit less but yes definitely pandering they're pandering they saw they saw how people embraced it and they went with it and they were like well this is a way we can do it in a relatively easy way that hopefully doesn't offend too many people and here we go it's not about being offended. It's about it's about the essence of the story has fundamentally changed because of this I I hesitate to call it a love triangle because nobody loves Gaston more than Gaston. <laughs> but there's something else here now. And yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe the pandering is fine. Maybe I'm overlooking. Maybe maybe there's small gay children who look at LeFou and have a character that represents them. And maybe I should be grateful for that. Because God knows growing up as a very, very dyke bisexual in the 90s, there were not a whole lot of visual representations for me so just having something anything that yeah vaguely resembles me would have been an encouraging thing at the time and I think I'm trying to think of who it is if it's um I think it might be Kumal Nanjani I can't recall but there's there's somebody uh who is like an ethnicity that's not um, well represented in Hollywood who has talked about how there is like this, these stages that your minority goes through in representation in Hollywood or in media and you kind of start off where you're the jokey character but then, you know that's also the first time anybody's introduced to that minority as the jokey character. And then it kind of builds from there. And he's like, I have issue with it being the jokey character. But then I look at it as like the whole piece that it is. And I realize that this is just, this is the arc that all, yeah, Mm -hmm. that all the minorities go through to become accepted. We'll talk about that a lot because that, progression is I think very influential in Mulan I mean that movie is terrible we're going to be talking about that movie at length (laughs) and it's terrible but because of that movie there are so many better representations of Asian actors now in Hollywood because that movie was so bad right because our generation was able to look at it and say this isn't right we need something better than this right so so that's the evolution yeah and is this the beginning of that evolution in Disney maybe maybe all right finally we have a bunch of the big scene and we're not going to talk too much more about it i do want to talk about how this when the movie came out and i don't know if it was true when the animated version came out but there was a lot of talk about bell and the beast and stockholm syndrome 
So what they did in this movie was to really emphasize how the beast lets her go. I mean, they did in the first movie too, but it was Mm -hmm. really clear here. Mm -hmm. He's letting her go to go and save her father Mm -hmm. so that when she comes back, it is her choice and she's chosen him because she loves him certainly not because he's the best available option or his library or his library (laughs) but because he's let her go and she's free to choose so let's let's talk about that a little bit why what makes him letting her go is this is this if this was your daughter would you want her in this particular relationship with the beast (laughs) well no Uh, no and maurice doesn't either no no he doesn't He, he even as she's going back he she's having to convince Maurice about his value as a person Mm -hmm. which again is that because she's learned it or because she was fucking held prisoner I mean I I don't know I can't answer this question I think it's obvious that their relationship nothing about it is healthy right there's there's nothing about this movie that like i'm glad my children don't like this movie i'm glad they've overlooked the original animated version yep i don't know why my parents allowed me to (laughs) love this film because, because they just saw it as a bookish heroine, and that's not a bad thing for your kid to want to be. But there's way more to it than that. And people just didn't so pick apart. People didn't pick media apart like that back then, really. I mean, they did, but not Or they did. I, I'm, I'm, as my see, I'm feeling like any critique of this movie at the time would have been perceived as wildly Christian. And that the objections were because of a religious thing. Because that's what most of the movie objections were in those days. I mean, we were at the pinnacle of, like, Tipper Gore and the whole what are your children watching on TV kind of thing. But that was all conservative Christian values. It didn't have anything to do with the actual content, which I am now examining through, even through a feminist lens and saying, what the fuck is wrong with this shit? How are we letting our kids watch this movie? They're not, by the way. I'm glad they're not because because I wouldn't be allowing them to if they liked it. I don't know how I'd have that conversation. Sorry, kids, you don't get to watch this one because your heroine here is. I I, I mean, (laughs) how do you explain that one to your 
young children. Right. But yeah. I would not want them watching this movie. I would not want them watching this movie at all. But I will say, you can and should feel free to appropriate all of the Halloween costumes. <laughs> all yep, of the dresses. Fair game. They're all fair game. <laughs> The Beast is also fair game, although most little boys do not want to be dealing with that much facial makeup. But <laughs> candlestick, clock, whatever, you do, do it, it up. You these, do you. These are great <laughs> Halloween costumes. All right. Do you have anything else to say about this travesty of a film? I just, I, my final verdict is that I hate this movie. For so many reasons, and in so many ways, I hate this movie. And didn't hate the movie as a kid. I mean, and that's really what's so painful about this to me, is that I didn't hate the movie as a child. I loved it, and now, looking back on it, I can't understand what I loved. Maybe maybe this is the movie that made us little feminists. Maybe this is the, where we all realized that it was just fucked up as all get out. And <laughs> this is unacceptable. Okay. Don't watch the Disney, movie. Disney, please stop making live action remakes, please. Uh, they're not going to. Would, they're not going to listen to us. Not. We've got The Lion King. The Lion King is going to be terrifying. Aladdin, which is going to be terrifying. (laughs) The Jungle Book was not awful. It wasn't great, but it was not (laughs) awful. However, if that's the best that I can say about it, (laughs) I don't... Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing I did like about this movie, and it was Belle's dress at the very end. Oh, that is a pretty dress. It was such a pretty dress. It is a pretty dress. I, I That would have been like a lovely wedding dress. I actually did look at that. I'm renewing my vows next year. And I actually went through almost all of the Disney princess dresses before <laughs> I ultimately decided on a modified version of Elsa's dress from Frozen Fever. It's got flowers on the train it's gonna be gorgeous (laughs) but i really like bell's dress at the end this dress is great this dress is great i actually i really liked the yellow dress too i thought that it was a great live action version Mm -hmm. of the dress that i had imagined for so many years and i am a little bit jealous of emma watson for getting to wear that dress yes it was what we all wanted yes that dress and the book and with the and the gold um, yes. dress but let's i mean where does that come from <laughs> came from the ceiling <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> she sang it down from <laughs> somewhere i don't know i don't know the magic in this book is i'm just i'm telling you that the magic in this story is all over the place and consistent yes. yep Indeed. (laughs) All right, guys. That's been Beauty and the Beast. Please don't suffer through it alone. 
You can find us on latchkeymovies.com and at latchkeymovies everywhere else, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, please do call and send your kid reviews. That's like 30 seconds. Record your kid telling us a story about their favorite movie. That number is 402-885-4875. We would love to hear your kids' opinions. And please do review us on iTunes. It's important. I'm still not sure why, but it's important, so review us on iTunes. And thank you for sticking with us on this one, because it was not fun. Oh, sure it was. Come on. I this has been a blast. We've had Woo! a great time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Bye.